0: We're going to start this thing today called Advent Conspiracy. Like I mentioned, that there is a red insert in your worship program that will tell you about that. And so I want to explain some of that with you today. And with the name tags, the idea is, yeah, hopefully we get to know each other a little better. But I want us to get to know God better. And we're going to look at some of the names in the Bible for God to understand his story and his character. But before we do that, I want you to get to meet some people. I want you to get to know some people here. And so recently and over the last couple of months, we've been working on uh, some membership with people. And, and so they have said, you know what, we agree with what this church is doing and we want to be a part of this in a special way. And so those of you who we have called and you've uh, done all this paperwork and all that, you know who you are. Would you come up onto the stage? We've got a certificate for you, but uh, come on up. All right. It takes a few people to start. Good. Just come on up here, and I'm going to introduce all of you. You'd be right up here. I'm not going to make you talk, Justin. Just ju- just show us your beautiful face. And... Uh, Pamela, I think you got some certificates for everybody here. And as they're making their way up here, these are... Okay, Donna, you want a little hand? I can give you a hand. There we go. These people have said, you know what, we will... Uh, be a part of this church and that we will share and we will serve and we will protect the unity of this church. And we want to get involved in greater ways than we even have before. And we have made a promise with them and said, we will protect you and serve you. And we want to help you grow closer to God so that you can help others along the way. And so I want to introduce these people as Pamela passes out. We have Donna Elliott. In fact, when I mention them, please clap for them. Donna Elliott. We have Jim and Heather Kessie, Jack and Jane Lee. Ring that cowboy all right there. We have Justin and Jessica Modar, Woo! Show that certificate. Who else do we have? Kim and Cyrus Retman. Keep going, keep going. Sandy and Patricia Shopper. Who else do we have here? Nick and Melissa Slider. Eric and Christine Smith and Baby Boone. And Doug and Carolyn Tharp. Did we get everybody? Good job, Pamela. We're going to watch them. John and JoJo Westfall. There we go. Did we get everybody, Pamela? And Vince and Joanne White. All right. So, again, I want to thank you for one. There's really ultimately one family, and that's just the family of God. But I appreciate that you have said we want to make Willamette Community Church our faith family as well. And we will get involved, and you already have. And I want you to know that we will serve you. We will protect you. We want to invest in you and so I'm going to pray with them, and I'm just going to ask if you would pray with me for these people. Let's pray a prayer of blessing. God, I thank you for these people. I thank you that you have done a work in their heart, that they have understood that they need you, Jesus, to be their Savior. And I thank you that they have plugged in here at Willamette Community Church to serve and protect and use what you have given to them in talents and giftings to bless others. And I ask a blessing on them, God, that you would continue to grow them for your glory. I pray that for Sandy and Patricia and for Cyrus and Kim and Christine and Eric and Donna and Vince and Joanne and Justin and Jessica and Nick and Melissa and Jim and Heather and Jack and Jane. And Doug and Carolyn and John and Jojo. And I would ask your richest blessing on them that they would continue to grow in you. That you would use them mightily for your glory in the sake of others. And as a church family, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all people, God's people said, Amen. Amen. One more time, let's say welcome to these people. See, that wasn't that painful. I didn't make you talk or anything. Sandy's going to help you down. All right. Very good. Thanks, buddy. Who's going to help Sandy? I'll help. His wife's there to catch him. All right. Very good. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me today to Genesis chapter 16, very beginning of the Bible. We're going to start in the 16th chapter today as we start off our conspiracy. If you want to use the Bible sitting in front of you, we're going to be on page 11. We're going to be on page 11. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little history of where we have been with this thing called Advent Conspiracy. Back in 2008, uh, I remember being on this stage uh, one Sunday and I had a water bottle and I, my wife was at the back, and we offered a water bottle to some of you as you came in. We said, would you like a water bottle? And, and many of us said, no, I don't need one. I got my own coffee. I got my own water. I'm fine. I've already had some today. And, and it was a great illustration that we just kind of turned this down, like, oh, we don't need this. This isn't that important to us. I got my own. Thank you. But what we did in 2008 says, you know what, though you turned this down and you thought it wasn't that important because you've already had some of this today, that there were people throughout the world that were dying from lack of clean water. And we started saying, what if we conspired together? What if we pooled some of our resources together and said, you know what? Especially as we get to this Christmas season, what if we said it's never been about us? It's always been about God and God being gracious. What if we took some of our funds and blessed others, especially those who needed clean water? I'll be the first to admit, when I heard this idea, I thought, ah, I don't know. Sending money to Africa, I mean, does that do any good? None of us are ever going to go there. And uh, But the Lord started putting this on my heart, saying, man, this is not right. I have multiple places in my home where I can get clean drinking water. Toilet would even be one if I was that desperate, right? But... There are people in the world that are struggling, trying to find this clean water, and they're dying from this. So we started conspiring together. What if, what if we did something? I'm going to take a drink myself this morning. We said, what if we started considering how we could bless others at Christmas time? What if we made this season truly about what Jesus was about, coming to bless all? What if we made it about that and not about us? Could we spend less money on ourselves, take some of that money and give it so that others could truly be blessed in greater ways than us getting another pair of socks or another gift card? And through this thing called Advent Conspiracy then, our hearts have grown since 2008 when we first started this. We've given much money, we've given much time and energy, we have gone, we've gone into our communities, we have gone to Mexico, we have gone to Sierra Leone with the heart of showing the compassionate God, the gracious God, and said, let's make Christmas and this season leading up to this more than just, what do I want? And so all of this was centered on Jesus. And and personally, then we have been challenged since 2008 to consider the compassionate God and how he was compassionate toward us. Allowing God then to show his compassion to others through us. We've done this thing called Christmas Compassion and and we will continue to do this where we say we're going to collect food items, non-perishable food items. And we'll collect blankets and then we will serve together in different ways. And we'll use some of the money raised to buy turkeys or lasagnas and and bless people in our neighborhood with the hopes of getting to know them. And so we have done that. We have planted seeds throughout our community Since 2008, it's been fun for me to talk to some people and say, I remember doing a wedding recently and saying, now how did we first connect with you and how did you start showing up to Willamette Community Church? And this lady said, well, there was a time when people from this church gave my mom some cookies in this neighborhood. And she started showing up to church and then I started going to church with her and It was like, man, really, a plate of cookies was that seed that really started a great blessing in your life? And I've heard from others, I remember being on a trip in Mexico, and we were traveling, and I said, how did you first get connected to Willamette Community Church? And someone said, we weren't going to any church until one day we got a gift box from your church, and then we were like, well, we should check this out. Here we are now serving Jesus Christ in Mexico because of that. And so we will continue to give food and blankets and money and time. We've also gone to Mexico. I've mentioned that. Uh, Over a hundred of us have gone to Mexico on our trip uh, since we started this in 2008. And the idea is that we would bless our neighbors to the south. We visit them. We learn from their culture. We partner with them. These are pictures of a trip we went last year. I got to go with my son and visit Pastor Alfredo last month. George Grins and his son got to go down and visit as well. And and these are just brothers and sisters that we have now as we learn from their culture and get to partner with them. We've also been able to go to Sierra Leone, something that I thought would never be possible. We have gone. I've personally gone there five different times. This little war-torn country on the west coast of Africa has a massive problem of lack of clean water. Not a water problem, just a clean water problem. And we have gone there, and what it started with drilling a couple wells, it started into planting a church there and then planting a school there. This is a picture of the middle school, high school uh, from our last trip in February and our team that went. And this is a picture of the pastor, Patrick, drinking from a well that was put right there on the side of the church and the school so that they could drink clean water every single day and so we've visited them and we've partnered with them in, in the great work that's being done there you many of you have little cards out in your office or on your refrigerator of uh, orphan kids in that village of Moyamba Sierra Leone and all of this started because we started thinking through this idea back in 2008 what if we made christmas a little different than just making it about our uh, wish lists So in two weeks, we're going to take a special offering again, as we have. And I I will place this water basin down here. We've used this water basin every year since then to take in our special offerings. Our goal, I'll just put it out there in front of you right now, is $25,000 above our regular giving. And every year, you seem to, we seem to do more than even that goal. This year, with our goal, we thought, okay, what else could we do besides in our community, in Mexico, in Sierra Leone? As I was talking with Sierra Leone, and even this morning, I got an email over there. And they said, we have a need for a water well at an orphanage. And you could be at this orphanage. I've actually been to the place where it's now meeting. They said, we have 60 kids that do not have access to clean water in our orphanage. We'd love for you to partner with us. And so I I haven't responded yet, but I'm about ready to say, man, we're on that. We'll do that again. I was talking to our pastor in Moyamba, and I said, could we give you some money so that the kids could have Christmas presents? I don't know if you do anything like that. They don't break out the tree and stuff it with presents. And he said, that would be great. I said, what kind of presents would bless the kids? And he said, toothpaste and toothbrush. A pair of sandals would be great. Maybe even a pair of clothes for church. And as I'm hearing that, I'm thinking, that's not Christmas presents. That's like a trip to Walmart for us, right? I mean, I I need a new toothbrush. I need toothpaste. And yet he was saying, boy, they would be blessed if we started doing the calculations. What would it be for 80 kids to get all that? And it's like, okay, we could do that. This growing school said, we actually need more desks. And so we have to buy the lumber and have to put those together. And I'm like, I think we could help out in some of these ways. And so all of this started because a few years back we started saying, what if we just thought of Christmas a little differently and made this more about Jesus and made this more about what his compassion and his grace toward even us? Well, this year I have a special theme I'd like us to consider, and it's simply this if you're taking notes, Knowing God to know God in greater ways. And I would hope that over the next couple months that we would know God in greater ways because what it's going to do is it's going to shape the way that we live. It's going to shape the way that we spend money and give money and just live everyday life knowing more about God. In our theme verse, I want you to write this passage down because I'd like you to memorize it. I'd like you to reflect on it. It's found in John chapter 17. Jesus is saying this in a prayer to his Father before he goes to be crucified. He writes this, and in fact, I'm going to have you read it with me. Would you do this, please? Ready? Begin. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is what Jesus said. He said, this is eternal life. This is the life of God, Father, that they would know you. That's what life truly is. That they would know your son Jesus, whom you have sent. So what I want us to do is I want us to consider God and know him in greater ways because I'm confident it's going to shape how we live life. One of the ways we're going to do this is I want to look at some of the names of God. And we're going to look at one of those today in Genesis chapter 16. And I think what this will do is help us to worship fully. This God will say, wow, this God is amazing. And because of that, then it just shapes everything we do in life. We're going to find out that names usually are tied to stories. We're going to read a story here and, and see this name. But even your name is probably tied to a story. You were given a name. Uh, And there's maybe a story behind that. I would hope that you would ask each other, what's the story behind your name? Or if you have a nickname, what's the story behind that name? Because we're going to see that with God. There's a story behind this name. If I told you that my name was David, some of you don't know that, but that's actually my first name. If I told you my name was David, there's a story behind that and why I don't go by that right now. If I told you that my name was Ian... And there's at least one person in life that calls me that. There's a story behind that. There's an awkward little nickname I was given in college named Mill the Thrill. Well, there's there's an awkward story behind that as well. If I told you that my name was Malarski, there's a story behind that as well. Because different names tell different stories. And we're going to see that as we look today. And then we're tying this with name tag November. So I would hope that you'd wear your name tag each Sunday that you show up this month. If not, we will provide one for you. But uh, as you get to know each other, there are stories certainly behind names. Today, I want to look at Genesis chapter 16. We're going to learn about another aspect of God from one of the names of God. And As I was doing this, I'm like, man, I, I looked at this and I thought, I can't start there. i got to go back. Let's go back to 15. Grab your Bibles, turn back to chapter 15. i just got to go there real quickly. We're going to see how God made a promise to a man named Abram, or later he'll be called Abraham. There's actually a story behind his name changing. If you want to read that, write down chapter 17, story of Abraham's name being changed. But I want to show you this in Genesis chapter 15. Follow along as I read the first few verses here. It says, After these things, and you'd have to read the first couple chapters before that even. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, "Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. He has no kids. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. It's like it's not even my own son. Verse 3, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought Abram outside and said, Look, Toward heaven and number the stars, Abram, if you are able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, I'm on my way to chapter 16 to learning this name of God, but I thought we had to get to this part because as I was looking at this, God was making a promise. God was making a commitment, a covenant to Abram. And he said, I know you're really old, and I know that you haven't had a son yet, but you will have a son. Abram's like, well, come on. I'm not getting any younger. There's a couple things I want to say as I'm getting my way to chapter 16, I want you to write this down, is that one, God makes promises that he will fulfill. God makes promises that he will fulfill. Unlike us, we make promises, and we have a hard time keeping them. God makes promises, and he will fulfill them. This is partly because of his character. This is because of his power. This is because of his faithfulness. When God says something's going to happen, it will. We even sing songs about saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to see you face to face. And it's like, man, I I can't believe that sometimes. But when he makes promises, it will happen. That he's working all things together for good. That's hard to see that at times, God. But what God promises, he will fulfill. Now let's get to chapter 16. Chapter 16 starts with this story. So Abram and Sarah are waiting for this kid. They are trying for this kid. And before long, they're complaining to God and saying, we're not having a kid. This isn't good. This isn't right. So they start to devise a plan saying, okay, maybe God failed us. Maybe God forgot about us. And so Sarah, the wife of Abram, says, Abraham, why don't you take our maidservant, this Egyptian maidservant, and why don't you try to have a child with her? Maybe that's what God meant. God's not doing this in our time. Let's try our own plan. Let's see if this works. Well, it worked. The plan worked. The Egyptian servant girl becomes pregnant, and this causes some relational strain in the family. You can read this story. Sarah, she has much frustration with this Egyptian servant girl, Hagar, God had promised a child, and after 10 years, they were like, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see it happening our way. We're going to try our own way. And as I was thinking about that and reading that this week, I thought, waiting is difficult, isn't it? Just think about waiting for something. Waiting is difficult. Just go practice waiting this week at a stoplight in an office. Some of you are praying for healing. Some of you are praying for the salvation of someone. Some of you are praying for your kids or your parents or your grandkids or you're praying for your neighbor. And it's like, I'm not seeing it, Lord. Abram and Sarah weren't seeing it either. Waiting is extremely difficult for us. And yet, I want you to consider this question here. Will we trust God in our waiting, or will we trust ourselves? As you're waiting, will you continue to trust God, or will you say, you know what, God may have forgotten me here. I'm just going to answer my own problem my own way. They'd waited 10 years, and nothing's happening, it's like, Okay, let's give up on God's plan because it's not working. I'm going to try my own. Some of you, you may be thinking, okay, I'm waiting for the love of my life. And, well, it's not happening. I'm going to try my own way. And you and I all know that when we do things our own way, trouble ensues. Happened here as well. When you and I decide not to trust God, make our own decisions apart from his direction, we bring on so much pain. Well, in the case of Abram and Sarah and Hagar, heartache ensued. I want you to follow along and read the rest of this story with me. Verse 6. It says, Then Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, and Hagar fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her, that is Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress. Like, it's not good. The relationship's not good. I'm fleeing from her. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress. Submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, listen to this, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Go down to verse 13 if you would. So Hagar called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Let's stop there. Imagine, if you would, this young Egyptian servant girl, Hagar. She is mistreated. She's alone. She's fearful. She's impoverished in that she's in a wilderness. And did I mention she's pregnant? But notice this. When no one else noticed her, when no one else noticed her, God noticed her. God saw her hurt. He even speaks into her and sees her future and says, I have good intended for you and your family. Here was this lady who was desperate, and yet God saw her. He wanted her relationships to be restored with Sarah and to others. And this is what God wants. And what Hagar declared is that God is the God who sees. Write this down if you would. If she were making a name tag out for God, it would be, God is the God who sees. If we were looking at this in the Hebrew, it would say, uh, God could write this, Hello, my name is el Roe. I am the God who sees. And Hagar says, I want you to know, this is... Who God is. He is the God who sees. Let's just consider for a minute, you and me, what this name would mean to us that God sees, that He sees everything going on in this planet and in the universe, but He even sees you and me. Let's just consider that for a moment that God sees you and me. He sees you, He's always seen you. You may be here this morning you say, man, right now I'm being mistreated. At home, at work, wherever it might be, God sees. You might be saying "And right now, I am alone. I want you to know that God sees. You might be sitting here saying, I'm fearful. I'm, I'm not sure what's coming next. I'm not sure how I'm going to pay for this. I'm not sure what the diagnosis is going to be. I'm not sure. You may be fearful, but I want you to know that God sees. You may be impoverished in one way, whether it's monetarily or relationally, but God sees. You might be in the wilderness, in a spiritual wilderness. Just I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm lost. I want you to know that God sees you. He sees me. He sees us. And he faithfully works to fulfill his promise to love and to care for you, to never leave you and forsake you. He says, I'm going to faithfully work to show you that I love you. I'm going to faithfully work to show you that I care for you because I see what you're going through. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I see I see you. Some of you are going, man, I don't know if he sees me. And I want you to know this. The proof of God seeing is not how you feel. All right? The proof of God seeing you is not how you feel. Throw the feelings away. The proof of God seeing you is not what you think. Throw that away even for a bit. The proof that God sees you is not how your uh, situation is right now. That's not proof. That's not the proof that God sees you. The proof that God sees you even now goes back much farther than when he saw your greatest need and when he saw my greatest need, he said, I am going to rescue you. This is the Christmas story. This is the story that we're going to be celebrating over the next couple months. That God saw you and me, and he said, Man, I see your greatest need. Your greatest need is that you are a lost sinner. Your greatest need is that you are actually a slave to sin. Your greatest need is that you are actually dead in your sins. And because I see you, I'm going to bring the remedy. Because I see you, I'm bringing the rescue. Because I see you, I am sending my son. This is much more than a cute little baby in a manger with a tree and some lights. This is because God sees and he saw us and this is the proof that God sees let me ask you some questions if you're a note taker maybe you'll write some of these down in light of this will you trust him will you trust him will you trust that he sees you like man God nobody knows nobody will you trust him that he sees you and maybe for some of you, it's the very first time that you will trust him. You'll say, okay, God, I'm going to turn my life over to you. I'm going to believe that you see me. For some of you, it's just the next time. It's like, I'm going to trust that you see me in this situation. Will you trust him? Secondly, will you worship him? This is more than singing, though some of you will need to sing to God. But will you really say, okay, he is the most worthy thing in my life and I will offer my life to him. Will you understand that God sees you and will you respond by worshiping him? Thirdly, will you allow God to direct you? Will you allow God to direct you? If you can understand that he sees you, will you then allow him to direct you? to do what he wants, because he sees. You see, in the next two months, we will work together as a church. We are going to lean into this idea that we will let God direct us toward being more compassionate people. And the first step in compassion is to see the problem. The very first step for us to be compassionate people is to see the problem in front of us. God sees very clearly. You and I, mm, not so much, right? I was struggling with this this weekend or this week. I remember one time driving and I see somebody and I'm like, oh, I could roll down my window and say hi and honk my car. And I'm like, it could really turn into a long conversation. And and I was like, I just don't want to see it. I remember for a moment just literally turning my head away, like, I just don't want to see. Now, sometimes we don't see hurt and pain in our life because we're not perceptive. That's a possibility. Sometimes it's just because we're distracted, but often it's just because we're indifferent. It's like, I don't want to take time to see that. I can think of another time that came up this week, and I was like, Lord, I just don't want to even look that direction. Because then it means that I might have to let my mind and my heart get involved. And then it's going to take time. And and God was just saying to me, Scott, man, you got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of work to do on you because you don't even want to see the problem. And God kept saying to me, but Scott, I want you to know I saw you, I saw your problem, I got involved. Will you see? This is really the first step in compassion to see the problem in front of us. That there are people with great needs around us. People that need relationship, people that need healing, people that need help. Might be in your own home, it might be at your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood. And we get involved because we first see the need. So here's a question. I want you to write this down. Are we willing to look and see and let our hearts move? Are we willing? Are we willing to look and see and let our hearts move, to, to, for God to move our hearts? Our flesh we will say, no, I'm not going to look that way. I'm not going to look toward that person because if I look, I'm going to see, and if I see, I'm going to get my heart involved in my time. I don't have time for this. The flesh says no. But as we get to know God, and as we get to know that God saw you, as you come to the realization that God saw you, Like Hagar, every one of us could say, he is the God who sees me. I was lost in my sin and he saw me. I was lost in my addiction and he saw me. I was lost in my loneliness and he saw me. As you and I get to know God more and more, this is going to shape us. To the point where we're going to say, Of course, I can look and see. Of course, I'm willing to do this because God first saw me. I was convicted then with these instances where I said, God, I just don't want to look and see. And He says to my heart, Come on, man. I saw you, and it was a much bigger deal than what. I'm asking you to look and see. And as I get to know God more, I know that it shapes me more. And as you get to know him more, it's going to shape you more. And as we grow closer to God, we start getting involved. I think this is one of the reasons we got involved in Sierra Leone. We said, okay, we can start to see a clean water crisis. We can see a war-torn country. We can see that these people are in desperate uh, situations far greater than we are with this water issue. And so we saw this, and we have been involved. Even to the tune that the pastor's daughter sent us a note recently on Facebook and said, Pray for my dad, he's sick. Now, when we get sick, we just, okay, then go to Walgreens and get something, you know. If you need to, go to urgent care. If you need to, go to the ER. In Sierra Leone, when they get sick, it's like, okay, we need to pray because there's not a whole lot else they can do, frankly. I just want to go tell them, go to the drinking fountain and drink clean water because that's about the best physical remedy I have. But we start seeing this need and our heart breaks. We saw the need in Mexico, and we said, we're going to get involved. When Pastor Alfredo was telling me last month, he said, Scott, it's tough being a pastor of a small rural church. He's like, man, these people are busy, and, and there's just financial poverty going around. and It's tough. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to look and see and hear and let my heart break. And I, I'm not the one to fix this. But I can pray for you. I can care for you. I can let you know you're not alone in this. But also we've seen hurt in our own community. And we've gotten involved. And I would hope that this continues to happen. That you would walk around today and tomorrow as you go to school, as you go to work, as you are in your neighborhood. That you would walk around and say, I just need to see, Lord. I am willing to look and see And I'm letting you move my heart. But man, sometimes we just don't do that. I know we're not perceptive, but I also know we're very distracted. And if it's none of that, it's just the fact that we're indifferent. But that is not what God calls us to do. He says, listen, I want you to see that I saw you, and now I want you to look and see others, and let me move your heart toward compassion. Over the next two months, we're going to have this opportunity. I would hope that you would ask this question over and over to yourself. Am I willing to look and see and let my heart be moved? Because that's what God would desire. He says, I saw you. I want you in the same fashion to look and see and let your heart be moved toward others. My prayer is that the answer to that question is, oh, yes, I am willing because I. I understand that God is the God who sees. That is who he is. That is what he has done for me. Thanks be to the God who sees. He saw you. He saw your greatest need. He sees you right now. My prayer is that we would see him and that we would see what he is calling us to see. I'm going to ask that you just reflect with me as we close today before we take communion together. You'd bow your head. And let's start by just reflecting on the fact that God is the God who sees. That he saw your greatest need before you were born and said, I am sending my son to rescue you. I want you to know that he saw you. And for those of you who have trusted in him, I I want you to allow that to change you and transform you. That God saw my greatest need. And maybe you're feeling like Hagar today, and you feel alone and fearful and mistreated in a wilderness. And through these pages and through his spirit, God is saying, I see you. And I've got good in store for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this story. I thank you for this revelation that you gave to an Egyptian slave girl that. You saw her in her most desperate time. And I ask that you would help us to understand that you saw us in our most desperate time, and you gave your son. And God, would you help us to see that you see us in our desperate times now? You see us in our loneliness, in our fear, in the wilderness. Would you give us the faith to believe that you see what's going on? And then I ask that you would shape us with that knowledge. That you would give us this confidence that yes, God sees me and because he has and because he's good, even though I'm going through this, I can look and see and let my heart be moved. God, I I don't want to try to Bolster up some enthusiasm to get people to do projects for the next couple months. I just want my brothers and sisters, and I want this for me. I want us to see your goodness. I want us to see more of you. Because I know that as we do that, it will shape us. As it did for this young lady, Hagar, it's going to shape us. And so I thank you that you are a God who sees. Shape us with this truth. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.